punch a call just because of the fact that, um, you know, it narrows down the conversation. If we start talking, I know there's a lot of guys in here that talk about uh, commercial, multiple occupancy, uh, high rise, mid rise and everything in between. Um, you know, it, it becomes a whole different animal um, in when it comes to vertical ventilation. So I thought if we could target in on your residential, I'm talking, you know, single family, two family, three family homes, uh, normal, ordinary construction, if you will. I thought we could narrow down the conversation that way. Um, and so I'd like to start the conversation with this. Uh, on our Instagram tonight, uh, we posted a series of seven photos, I think it was. Um, you can, while you're in this app, you can go out of the app, go into our Instagram. And as you go into the Instagram, you can look at our page and you can reference the pictures. Uh, the pictures are put, they're listed one, two, three, four, five, and six, and seven. So there's seven total pictures. Uh, these pictures were provided by Larry um, out of uh, Houston a while back. Larry, were you at this job? Yeah, actually I was. Steve and I both were. Excellent. So this, uh, this will make for a good conversation because what I'd like everyone to do is while we're talking, it's good to scroll through the photos and get an idea and mindset of, uh, you know, conditions. And as we numbered them, I tried to number them in what the progression I thought was on the fire ground so that as we go and talk about what was being done here and reference different types of tips, tricks, hacks, uh, tactics, um, you name it, uh, conditions and so on, uh, we could refer to the slide with the numbers so that anybody watching, um, you know, will certainly uh, be able to reference what we're talking about. So, uh, Sean, anything I missed or Larry, anything I missed before we get rolling? No. Cool. I, do I think say, you got it, bro. Yeah. I just want to say this, uh, according to clubhouse, I do need to advise that we are recording this. And as I bring people up on stage, uh, people have to be aware that we are recording this. And so, uh, you'll hear me say that a couple times, uh, throughout the event only to, uh, cover ourselves to make sure that anyone that's willing to speak will be recorded. And this will be posted on our podcast uh, down the road. So, um, as we move forward, um, I'd love to say this, you know, there's a long old school history, of vertical ventilation. Um, you know, as far back, you know, hundred years in this business, guys were swinging axes on the roof to open up the vertical ventilation. Why? Simply because heat and smoke rise. Right. And so the idea of ventilation is to open at the highest point to allow for a better push on the interior. Right. It's very simple and straightforward. And so my long, you know, the question very much is this then is why do we need it? And do we still need it today? And so I'd love to get into the conversation, Larry, by maybe starting to talk about ventilation in and of itself. And then we could start referring to those slides since that was a job you were at. I would love to get Sean's take on it. I do know up in uh, Buffalo, they are tough truck city. Uh, they do open up um, very steep peaks as well as flat. So uh, they're not held back by the construction of the buildings um, and so on. So, Larry, if you wouldn't mind opening up with a couple comments on vertical ventilation, then we'll roll into those slides, my man. Sure. Uh, I think, uh, and you've been present for some of the great debates on this. And I think that a lot of the principles of ventilation, no matter how you do it, it's got to get done. Whether you're oriented towards vertical, whether you're oriented towards just opening up horizontal, whether you're a big fan of PPV, you know, at some point it even goes back to the whole truckless truck concept. At some point, truck work's going to get done. Ventilation's going to get done, whether you have a dedicated company or not. I've always been a big believer that roof ventilation is way uh, to clear an occupied space uh, but at the same time too it's also based upon building construction it's based upon location of the fire 
It's based upon reading what it's doing and where it's going. And so to say that you go to the roof every time, I can't say that. But at the same time, too, I think that we need to default, at least in our part of the country, down in the Texas area. I believe, and I think Chief Davis mows on here, you know, the, the default position should be, we know we're going to go to the roof unless conditions warrant otherwise. That way, you're prepared. That's your mindset. That's what your tools, that's what your seating assignments are set up for. Because everything from there, it's easier to go backwards than it is to go in with a, a PPV mindset or a horizontal, let's break windows and open it up that way mindset and then ramp up to going to the roof. If you always step off ready to go to the roof, it's easier to go backwards and, and be backwards compatible, if you will, to the needs than it is to try and be forwards compatible on the fly, if Larry, that makes sense. Larry, let me ask you this. The, the, uh, the culture uh, from uh, the Houston area, uh, very truck-minded, truck-oriented. Was the roof a uh, go-to position on the truck? Yes. Uh, and Steve, Steve drove us for years, uh, and we were on the truck together. And it, it's been an evolutionary process. You know, we lost Kim and Lewis uh, at the McDonald's fire back in 2001. And so it was one of those things where, you know, that's a different type. It was a, a flat-roof McDonald's. But realistically – Ventilation in the Houston Fire Department has always been, you've heard of the reed hoods, and Steve can attest to this, Mo can attest to this. It's one of those things where it kind of de-emphasized for a period of time, ventilation coordinated engine and truck work uh, to where the engine crews could push in further, faster, deeper. And so realistically, I think in the last 10 years or so, you've seen a reorientation towards going to the roof, opening it up, pushing down, and then everything the entire building wide improves. You improve the survivability profile for occupants. You make it easier for the engine to make the push. You make it easier to get to the seat of the fire. And so I think that we've, you've seen the Houston Fire Department evolve back to where you've got very aggressive district chiefs with their tactics, such as Mo, not just because he's on here, but that's how he rolls. And you get in there and you got an engine and a truck that are working in concert and it's a thing of beauty. Now, roof ventilation and, and coordinated effort, you know, what Sean has in Buffalo, they're the same way, engine and truck. So consequently, I think it comes down to how you're set up, what the philosophy is, what the mindset is. If you're running all quints or if your building construction doesn't allow for it, a lot of times you, you have to differ when the ventilation occurs. Is it prior to pushing through the door? Is it in coordination? Is it afterwards? And so it really comes down to the composition. How many resources do you have on a box? There's so many things that come together uh, to determine if it's a viable tactic. Because let's face it, you can open a roof all day long, but if you don't do it in a timely fashion, what's the point? No, I get it. And and very good points made. A lot of good points there that we're going to start breaking down. Sean, I want to get your take on this just from uh, the region you're in. Um, I know you guys are very truck-oriented, uh, inside-outside teams and so on. Can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, much like the chief said, you know, our – Per SOP, our second truck assumes roof operations, and we keep that assumption going until we're told otherwise. And so basically, no matter what, using my crew as an example, we're bringing my ladders. So we're bringing them with us every fire. If we're, if we're second due, we're taking the ladders off our rig. I know our ladders. I know how they work. I know their quirks. I, we use the continuous halyard, which is a whole other discussion. But um, And if we get close close to the scene excuse the radio if we get close to the scene and the chief's like truck seven i don't need you to go to the roof we just set them down we'll get them later but we used to always open we just get up there open the roof years ago and now obviously times have changed things have changed now it's it's a 
the, the incident commander makes the, the final decision based on info he might be getting from the crews on the inside. But we send three trucks, three engines, three trucks on every box. <clears throat> the third truck is the fast truck or RIT. But the second trucks per SOP, their job is to get to that roof and assume it, and assume it's getting opened. Gotcha. Makes sense. And you run four in a truck? Correct. Yeah, four officer and three firefighters. Okay. And so as as time ticks on, I mean, you're you're an old school city. Uh, you got a lot of two and a half story and three story wood frames, correct? Yes. Our bread and butter is a two and a half story wood frame with uh, balloon frame construction. That's most of our city. Okay. And talk about, maybe talk about that then, you know, because tactic-wise, right? I mean, as we start talking about things here, there's cultures where, you know, peaked roofs don't get opened up. There's there's a culture where the roof doesn't get opened up at all uh, and so on. And and then in some of these northeastern cities or, or northern cities where, you know, uh, you know, old construction, uh, very close exposures uh, and so on, and challenge pitches and, and steep pitches and so on, it's not, it's not a lot of, it goes into the factor making, but it's not a big, it's not a deterrent, correct? Yeah, we're, we're, <clears throat> we're making that determination. We, we almost, you know, we, a twelve twelve pitch is, is common here and we just have to get used to the guys just have to work a little harder. Uh, we, we don't, a lot of the newer rigs are smaller. Uh, we don't run quints anymore. All, all our trucks have pumps, but none of them have water tanks. So we're fortunate enough that most of them we can have back to the two fly 35s. They're a little bit lighter, a little bit easier to maneuver. But much of our district, especially my second two district, that's our go-to. We have to throw the 35. We have to throw the 20-foot roof. And <clears throat> so it, 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 a lot comes with it. You know, there's guys in this room and gals in this room that throw 24s and 28s single person. I don't have to do that. And I'm, I'm lucky. And, you know, um, but <clears throat> we're dealing with, we're going to the roof unless we absolutely can't. And a lot of our city, because most of our, all but one of our truck companies are towers, it limits our ability to get get the, get to the roof via aerial uh, when we tar start talking about um, on residential streets. We just can't do it sometimes, which makes it even more of a challenge to get to some of the roofs. We just had, unfortunately, an incident here a couple weeks ago where we had uh, <clears throat> the roof didn't get open. The guys were working hard. We're dealing with two foot of snow in between the houses. They're close together. By the time they got up to get the roof open, the kid that was working was spent. He was shot, and unfortunately, the, you know, uh, fortunately, the the situation. The guys made a good knock, and it didn't have to get open. But they were dealing with a nasty pitch. They were dealing with snow. They were dealing with the fence that was in the way, a car in the driveway, and you just had to make it work. And that comes through, you know, pr practice and training. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, you know, there's so many variables involved, and I know as we go, I mean, there's just it's so many nuggets here uh, between Larry and you, and, and the things, and the the thing, the mindset, uh, the, uh, the obstacles, the construction, the fire conditions, the staffing, the uh, alarm assignment. I mean, all these things go into play. But I'd like to maybe start off then, you know, getting an understanding of of both of you and that we've done now, and and the cities you come from or run from. Uh, if you will, um, uh, let's talk about why, you know, let's talk about, uh, the issue for, and the, the pros for opening that roof. I mean, you know, there's, you know, as we saw tonight, uh, maybe before you guys hopped in, but there was a, a new guy, uh, in here, brandy new in the Academy and he came, I brought him up on stage and he, 
you know, and he just said, thank you for doing this because he wants to, he wants to pursue this and so on. So there's, we have all sorts of people in this room listening. And so we have the, the very new to the, to a very experienced in many years on the job. So, um, you know, let's talk about vertical ventilation, Larry, maybe you can hop in. Um, I know you're pretty articulate when it comes to uh, diagnosing and discussing things like this. So maybe you could hop in and give me some rundown of uh, the requirements, things to look for. What do we need uh, to uh, why do we need to do it and so on? Did you just say I'm articulate? No, no, I'll never say. Okay. Yeah, right. You speak speak well. I think what it comes down to is, you know, just because you set the parking brake, you know, you've got to read the building and all, you know, I think I heard Kevin say it uh, when we were down at San Marcos. I know I've heard other people say it. You got to understand what you're looking at. We have to know our enemy, which is the building. And based upon what's presenting when we sit there, if you really, and, and I really do put a lot of stock in, if you're looking at the smoke, you can see what it's doing in terms of velocity, color, density, and couple that with what you know about the building. Hey, if you've made runs in this building, whether it's a house or an apartment, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to if you have the ability to know what the smoke is telling you, if you have an idea of what the building construction is or a good working knowledge, then you have an idea of where it's going. And that's the first thing. You know, are you going to vent for fire or are you going to vent for life? Obviously, if you're going to the roof, you're trying to control fire spread. You're not overly concerned about venting to control the path of the fire other than stop it from running laterally on you, especially on a flat roof. We don't have a lot of flat roof single dwellings down here because of our rainfall. They do happen sometimes in townhomes, uh, townhome rows uh, and some single family dwellings, but they're not very common. And so a lot of our stuff, it's always pitched roof. It's not as extreme as what Sean was describing for Buffalo. In the slides, you'll see that's an extreme pitch for us by and large. Uh, that's not, you know, a very common pitch. It's usually not nearly that severe, uh, especially on one stories. Uh, they're getting more popular with cathedral ceilings. Obviously, the pitches is starting to increase, uh, but that's out in the suburbs or, or unless it's just a regentrified area in the city of Houston where they're knocking things down and rebuilding. But know your building, know your tool assignments, know where you're sitting uh, and what your responsibilities are. And when you set the parking brake, your default needs to be we're going to the roof uh, and you need to assess it. Where are we entering? You know, where are we getting up on? How are we getting up on? Uh, I'm not going to say the politically incorrect thing of I'm not a believer in roof ladders, but based upon the pitch. You know, a lot of times, and Steve will tell you, we use the roof ladder to get to the roof. After that, there's no point in hanging out longer than possible or needed. Get up there, cut the hole, punch it, get off. Uh, And we've had some close calls. I'm sure Sean has. I'm sure everybody in this room has where you get down and your feet touch the grass and you're like, wow, that was close because everything fell in. And so you have to understand what you're doing. It has to be timely. It has to be coordinated. You know, if the officer surveying everything, you don't need to have a party on the roof. It doesn't take six people. You got one guy cutting, one guy punching. You got your officer up there watching. He's checking everything with the tick, making sure it ain't rocking on you underneath or taking off. And then after that, it's about it's cutting, punching, and getting off. You know, it, good points, right? And so, um, you know, I have I have a note here that something I wanted to talk about is, uh, and it's underlined. It says after the cut. Right. Uh, you make a very good point that the the art of vertical ventilation, you know, opening that roof should be done quickly, efficiently. And it's time to go, um, you know, but there are times that you see and there's different cultures where, uh, you know, we teach, uh, you know, an opening, uh, you know, you do your inspection. The inspection looks like it needs to be cut. Then we we continue to cut off the inspection hole. You make that hole. You make it a sizable hole. Right. The four by four. I think they, they teach in the in the basic training. You open that hole and then it's time to go. Uh, but there are different 
uh, you know, types of buildings and so on that require different types of cuts as well. But, um, Sean, let's talk about, you know, for yourself, um, the equipment you guys run. How do you guys primarily open that roof? I mean, is your whole four-man truck going to be ascending and taking care of that roof work? Not if we can help it. So it's, it's you know, the uh, conditions have to dictate the tactics, you know, as we say. But uh, generally, it, it it happens like this. I'm I'm bringing the roof ladder from the back of the rig. This way I can get up there quicker. You know, like I said, most buildings, I know the streets. I, I generally know that we're, we're going to need a 20 footer. The, <clears throat> my two guys in the back, my two jump seat firefighters are bringing the roof ladder. Or I'm sorry, the uh, extension. Yeah, I'm, uh, my phone rang. I'm sorry. No, okay, somebody, somebody didn't get the message. One of my Android friends didn't get the message no, that we're doing this here. People. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so um, my crew, the guys are gonna roll up, and uh, my driver's gonna bring. Obviously, everybody's got their hand tools, but my driver's gonna bring the saw. We're still using cutter edge, cutter's edge chainsaws, vent saws. Uh, we did get a few new ones on uh, the new style vent uh, master, I believe they are on a couple of the trucks, but we don't have one yet. So. Setting the ladder, uh, first two guys are going up. Generally, it's I prefer it's one of my veterans is the first to the roof for obvious reasons. They can help make the determination if things are safe. Um, <clears throat> then my next, my youngest guy is going to go. And then if I need to, we're all going to head on up. But most of the time we're doing, we're, unless it's the, the, the you know a, a crazy snow or one of the extreme stream pitches, we're doing one roof ground ladder. And like Chief said, we, we're not hanging out, out, out up there if we can avoid it, but sometimes we can do more good if it's safe underneath us. We can do we can do more good up there yeah. than the guys in the attic. You know what I'm saying? Um, no, I get that completely. I mean, there's been many roofs that we've, you know, we've ripped the whole side of the, you know, the one the whole one side of the home off because the conditions warranted it and, you know, we were in a good spot to do so. So, I mean, I get that, right? Um, I love the difference. Jeremy? Yeah. I just want Sean, when you talk about that um, senior man that you try to get up, you know, on the back step, getting him up towards the roof first, like, what are the things that he's looking for for the people who are new, who don't have that experience? Like, what is he doing in his size up as he's making it? And what's his communication to you as the officer letting you know what the conditions are like? Because I think a lot of times some of our, our listeners, this might be their first time they're going up to the roof. Um, and, it, and it might be them and, and another classmate in a volunteer service that just went through uh, school a couple months ago, or it could be like two guys on probation. Okay. Yeah, so he's so that's a good question, Rob. Uh, so he's looking for, he's sounding the roof, obviously, and foremost. So we're making the determination where to open from the ground. So we might realize, you know what, we're 15 feet from the fire. We need to get further back. Uh, he's making those kind of determinations. He's going to decide if, um, obviously if the roof's safe, if, if we can continue on, um, if we're, if we're going to be able to get it done, if it's a five, uh, you know, say, a you know, a roof that's got four or five roofs on it, which isn't uncommon here either. So he's making all the determinations that I would make as the officer, but, you know, we're not in our city. The officer's not really shouldn't, shouldn't be the first guy, the second guy to the roof. Generally, if, if, if we're all going, if all four of us as a team are going, I'll be the third one up. Sorry, I just paused for the radio, but I'd be the third person up and <clears throat> I, I carry the tick. Fortunately, my crew, they all, all the guys have, um, 
decision or situational awareness ticks. So he can get a look at the roof with his flare. He, we're, they're all carrying flare K2s. So he can get a look quick and uh, makes, make a determination of what's going on in the attic if, if for some reason we're, we're unsure. If maybe the engine hasn't made the attic yet or something like that. But he's just making the, the determination. And I, and I use the senior guy just simply because he's my extra set of eyes. I use him for everything. And that's another discussion for another day too, Jeremy. I know that you love talking about the senior man, but he he has to know what I'm thinking, what I'm looking for. And I have to trust if he says, Cap, this is no good, we can't do it. Then I radio up to to the chief and, and or the incident commander and say, look, we're not going to be able to get this roof open for, for whatever reason. If it's spongy, if it's already burned through, if we already see fire impinging through the roof, <clears throat> you know, it's about, it's about to be ventilated anyways. So sometimes... That, that's decisions that he's making for us, Sean, for me. Some good points there. Right? Thank you. Something that's on my brain real quick is, you know, on these larger old style two and a half story wood frames, with the steep pitches. I mean, typically the, the half story is the, you know, the attic half story is basically a full, full story with, you know, knee walls on both sides typically. And it's typically a living space in a lot of these cities. And so, you know, my question is um, when you guys roll up, you know, if we have a, compartmentalized fire in one of these very large two and a half story or three story wood frames peaked. Um, how do you determine, is there, is there open communication with the engine company or the engine company boss or the first due truck boss where the location of the fire has been found? Because a lot of times on these compartmentalized fires in, in bigger homes, uh, it's not just going to the peak and making an arbitrary cut, right? So, in 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 uh, what you call it, Larry brought up a good point before too. When you start talking about vent for fire, vent for life, right? Are you venting over the stairs? You know, are you venting over the part involved? So when you mentioned using cameras, that's a nice little trick, right? To see the heat signatures on the building itself. Um, but rule of thumb for you guys, Sean, if you don't have uh, if you don't have fire showing or you don't have uh, a good idea of location of the fire, what is um, are you going to be doing inspection cuts on a steep peak because you're working off that roof ladder? You're going to shimmy across the ridge beam. What do you, what's the, what's the play? Yes. So we would do that if, if need be. Now we, we, we don't want on a steeper peak roof like that. We don't, I don't want my, I want the guys working off of it. We were trying to get those Ross platforms. I'm sure people are familiar with them. We didn't use them. So the first guy up is going to start shimmying up and down oftentimes. And you'll see, I'm sure in some of the slides, you'll see our decisions are kind of made for us where we have to set our ground ladders based on the windows, based on the openings on the ground floor, based on where the hose lines are going. So we may not be able to set our ladder exactly where we want to, which means we have to get up and work. And as long as we're working <clears throat> away from the ladder so that if something breaks through on us, we can, shimmy back to the ladder and still have our way out we don't cut off our own egress but that's absolutely if, we, if we're not sure or for whatever reason like i said the engine may not have made the, the stretch or more and more we're having finished living spaces in these attics and so we might be in one room and the fire's in the room next to it and we, we're not so that's all a decision made again on scene as we go but we, we certainly will shimmy the roof work the ridge line and start making inspection cuts or even just you know just spike spike the pipe we still use pike axes still spike you know spike the pike your axe through see what you can see see what the smoke looks like coming out of there and help figure out where we really need to open that open it up i mean with covid and everything we, we have more and more people living in unfinished illegal occupancies in the attic in fact we had a double fatal not not five months ago here a fam or triple fatal excuse me a family was living 
in the illegal illegal attic space and nobody knew they were there, which was sad. But no, that, I mean, yeah, you, Sean, that brings up a great point, right? I mean, you know, times are changing a little bit with with the COVID and everything. But on top of that, too, I mean, you know, you start talking about living spaces and, you know, that that just goes to that conversation that you got to search 100 percent of these buildings. And, um, you know, and that we can't take for granted that, you know, uh, attic space or, or crawl space or, uh, you know, a, a sub cellar or anything like that is not, uh, you know, uh, livable. So, Larry, real quick for you, man, give me a little give me a little history on on uh, back in your days before we start getting to these slides. Now, um, you know, are you guys a chainsaw department as well, like the, the vent master or the cutter's edge? Or are you guys, uh, you know, circular saw rotary like the northeast uh, has a lot of rotary departments? No, 68's uh, truck is pretty emblematic. You know, it's is you're going to have trucks that better set up based upon their neighborhood. If you go to 46's, you know, they're oriented towards more one story wood frames and our territory. We're oriented towards multifamily dwellings, single families. So you really have a combination of, of a saw composition. Uh, 68's truck carried two chainsaws, two cutoff saws. Uh, the two cutoffs, one was set up for ventilation, one was set up for forcible entry. And so the engine actually carried a, a, a K-12 as well. Uh, just car fires, and if they get someplace and the truck's delayed, that way they can force entry to a garage door if it's a warehouse. Because we did have a small warehouse district around 68s. So it's really a combination. Uh, you know, and this is where I'll, I'll probably catch hell from guys in the room. I'm a firm believer in that you take only what you need to the roof. The more you take, it has two complicating factors. It takes longer to get it all there, and it takes longer to get it up to the roof. And in reality, if you check your stuff out in the morning, if your chains are good, if it's been run, if it's got fuel, if you're squared away with the air filter, if everything is good to go, you don't need to bring everything. You see people, again, personal preference. They bring a set of irons. They bring a hook. They bring a saw. They'll bring a backup saw. And then they've got three people or four people or five people going to the roof. Not only does that slow you down in getting there, but the inverse problem is that the fire is still degrading the roof structure. Every 30 seconds longer it takes you to get the job done, that roof is that much weaker. So I've always been a big proponent in check your stuff, bring only what you need, get it done and get off. And so realistically, if it's a single family dwelling, it's a chainsaw all day long. If it's a flat roof commercial, you're going to go with the rotary. Unless you know it's lightweight concrete. We got burned more than once, and we finally learned a chainsaw for us on lightweight concrete is actually better to get through the lightweight concrete uh, than a rotary saw. Then once you get to the metal decking, you got to switch to the rotary. But it's those little things that you store in the back of your mind, and so you know based upon where you're going and the type of structure what you need to take. But you don't need to unload that truck to get up there and do it. A couple good points made for sure. And I, the one thing, the one thing I love about this conversation tonight is just, I, we have two very big extremes, right? Larry, where you are, you're talking single story, one and a half story, maybe a two story, uh, you know, uh, residential dwellings, right? Ordinary construction, uh, you know, typically warm weather, right? So you're not dealing with the, uh, the snow. Sean is, Sean's dealing with large two and a half story, three story, uh, steep pitched roof, homes, tight exposure. So this is a good conversation because you guys are dealing with, you know, really different elements uh, across the board, and yet the function is still the same, right? Larry, you mentioned you guys, uh, the roof ladder sometimes gets you to the roof, and you don't need it because you can get up and off so quickly uh, by zipping a hole in a, in a one-and-a-half-story, you know, uh, you know, not a non-steeped pitch, you know, a, you know, a shallow pitch. So 
Yeah, for sure. All right, what I'd, what I'd like to do is, uh, everybody in the crowd, I do want to say this. Uh, we are recording this. I do have to do that. I want, um, I would love some interaction as well. So if anybody down in the crowd does have a comment or a question or want to come up and have something to add to the conversation, please do, man. This is an open mic, open forum. Uh, you're welcome to come up. All you got to do is hit the button on the bottom uh, to raise your hand, and then uh, Rob or myself or one of the other guys can bring you up on top. Uh, please feel free to jump in. I know there's a world of knowledge down in the crowd um, and so on. But what I'd like to do is I'm going to toggle out of here, and I want to go into our Instagram on National Fire Radio, and I want to look at the pictures that we posted today. Um, so if you go to our page and you look, we numbered slides. Uh, we have a we have a post with uh, uh, slide number one shows a, uh, I'd say, a two-and-a-half-story Ordinary. We got fire showing on the one side, and as you scroll through the pictures, you'll see the progression. Um, Larry, this was one of your fires, my man. So, would you mind setting the stage for this, and then uh, Sean, I'd love some insights from you as well. Yeah, if it's a newer construction, um, two-story single-family dwelling, it was right on the edge of the city, and where uh, 82's engine got in first, their single-engine house. Uh, it actually started as a Division One fire on the Bravo side. Uh, you can see where it's all burned out. Uh, it was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if I remember correctly. And uh, this fire was at least 10 years ago. Uh, but 82's made a push through the front door. They were dealing with the fire to the left. Uh, I think that was the first fire I was ever riding captain uh, on the engine. And we actually went in. I tapped the captain on the head from 82's, who was a ride-up also. And I told Rodney, I said, hey, we're going to the second floor. And I made some mention of don't lose the stairs because where they were, the stairs were right behind them. So we made up to the second floor, and about the time you got to the Division Two floor on the stairs, it blacked out. And it was turning good in the attic, as you can see. Uh, if you go to slide two. Yeah, Larry, uh, were you, you were on the first do engine? No, second do. Uh, I was on 68. 82s was first okay, engine. Okay, all right. And so 82s blacked out Division One. Uh, when we got to Division Two, if you look at slide two, that's pretty much what we were confronted with. Uh, the guys on the nozzle got a quick knock on that, but it was already up into the uh, eaves, and we knew it was in the attic. Uh, the problem was is that by the time uh, we were able to get up to Division Two, black out what we could in that room, uh, we started opening up ceiling, and then it was just churning in that attic. Um, and then if you look on slide three, you'll see 82's knocked down Division Two. We had knocked down Division Two. Uh, the attic was just getting it still. And uh, that's when our truck, uh, 68's truck was first ladder truck. It was down, Mo will know where this is and Steve does. It's down around essentially West Airport and Gessner. So it's right on the edge of the city uh, before you uh, go into a, a neighboring suburb. And uh, so at that stage of the game, the truck went to the roof. And as you progress through the slides, you'll see the smoke condition coming out of the eaves and that Delta side window just intensify. And we stuck a pipeman up in the attic. He tried to make the attic, uh, came down, hands are on fire, uh, almost literally. He's, he can't make the push any further, helmets melting, everything. And so at that point, we know the truck, we can hear the saw running. And when you, you look at slide five, I mean, it was churning on the second floor. I mean, we were down on our knees and it was getting it. And uh, at that stage of the game, I mean, the truck was a godsend. Uh, Ladder 68 had a great senior captain, a hell of a senior pipeman. Uh, they had, with that hip roof and all the different angles, they had some uh, negotiating to do. But by the time they got up there, uh, I mean, it was 
it was so heavily charged that if you get to slide six and seven, you'll see they actually, when it broke, when they got the whole cut and they pushed it, I mean, it was a light switch for us. And everything lightened up. We were able to make the push into the attic. But there was so much pressurization in the attic that they got vent point ignition. It didn't light off just coming out of the attic uh, with fire. It was about 6 to 12 inches off the roof deck is where it finally ignited. There was so much gas. There was so much coming out of the attic that it literally was coming out under the pressure that it didn't light off till literally 6 inches to a foot off of the roof deck. So they got that vent point ignition, and then it was time to go. Lightweight wood truss. Uh, a lot of people will tell you if it's been burning longer than 10 or 12 minutes, don't get on the roof. We would have burned the roof off of that house had that truck not got up there and did it. As soon as they did that, within three or four minutes, boom, fire was out in the attic, went outside, took a break. I love it. I mean, if, when you sent me these pictures, it was just the perfect – I mean, whoever captured these shots are just it's, – it's ideal when you talk about the benefits – of what vertical ventilation can do. And then for you to be in that position operating on division two uh, or the second floor, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, for you to be in that position where you're basically kissing carpet. And, uh, and then once that roof gets opened up and everything lifts like that, I mean, it's a godsend. I've, I've done it as well. I've been in that position. I think anybody that's been on an engine that had the, uh, the roof opened up and the sheetrock pushed down, they, uh, they do appreciate that and allows for the push. And I think you make a very good point, Larry, is that that attic space was supercharged. I mean, that thing was ready to go. Uh, and, and surely that cut uh, allowed for everything to exhaust so that you guys can finish that push on the interior. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the truck earned their money that day. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we got back to the station. If I, don't, if I remember correctly, Steve was cooking dinner. And uh, good. <laughs> Uh, that night now everybody was tired but I mean it, it was a, it, in my 27 years in Houston that was probably the best chronological order of photos they were taken by a paramedic show for Jay Grantham and he was standing out front and he was taking the pictures when he was on medical standby and he stayed in the same position pretty much throughout the fire and just the progression of the fire really captured I mean on that slide five I mean it was it was getting nasty on division two and when he and when that truck cut the hole, I mean, it was just and, – and I hate to, to, to go on and on because I, I like truck work over engine work, and so I'm not trying to glorify it. But, I mean, that made all the difference in the world. I love it. Sean, what are your thoughts, man? You've been looking at these pictures. I sent them to you earlier. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I as far as the getting to the photographer, the point – every time I talk, the radio goes off. Sorry. The the, – uh, the, uh, when, when I love when fire buffs or photographers are there and they take photo, they make photographs versus just taking pictures. You know what I mean? And and it's these are so good to to go through and do what we're doing or teach from them versus people that get enamored by the flames. You know what I mean? Like so, these are really really quality photos. So yeah, so this house, I'm guessing what you know, Chief, you said is a relatively new build. Um, so it's. It's that's the uh, you know the the way we we do we do first floor second floor we do one two three four up here we're not that bright to to do divisions so but uh, you know seeing the way these guys operate like in photo four you know not to that that is foreign to us simply because we don't we would have ground ladders there and obviously it worked 
and I'm not criticizing them because it's just, you know, different, different uh, animals, but our chiefs are very careful with us on the roof, especially, and maybe it's because it's, it's still a relatively new thing here. The residential lightweight construction, uh, there's so many old, you know, my house was built in 1927. You could, you know, drive a truck into it so our chiefs get extra cautious when they're dealing with these types of this type of construction and and it's not because they don't understand it's just because you know for us it's such a foreign thing and getting back to what we talked about earlier about hanging out on the roof they won't let it fly up here they want us up off get the cut and be done but you know looking at the photos it does look like a great they did a great job and they made all the difference you know the the, the difference between Photo five and photo six is pretty remarkable. You know, you see the hole opened up and uh, the smoke. Look at, look yeah. The conditions on, on the second floor, right? I mean, look how those conditions lifted. If you look at even uh, photo um, one and two, you know, from the front of that building on that A side, I mean, that, that, that attic space is just seeping. I mean, it is just, it's hungry and it's seeping and it's pushing pretty good. And then as you get through the pictures, you look at four, I mean, it's coming out of the eaves pretty, pretty good. It wants, it wants to go, and five, forget it, right? And then, uh, and then six, all of a sudden, there's nothing from the eaves anymore, and so the cut. I mean, that that just is a super good example of um, of the benefits of a vertical ventilation for sure. Uh, I do know Steve's down in the audience in in the room. Steve, if you want to hop in, brother, I'd love to have you up here. I'd love to hear your take on this because you know. I take, you know, I take Larry at 75%. So, you know, I got to make sure that, uh, no. me. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I do have a gentleman that wants to, he's going to come up into the room in a minute. I think he might have a couple nuggets for us that, uh, that might hit home. So I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, what he has to say. If he's, uh, Hello. there he is. Captain Dugan, are you there? Oh, yes, brother. sir. Can you, you hear brother? me? I'm doing well, man. Not bad for a fat old man, you know? What do you think of this clubhouse? Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting. And I think there's a lot of things uh, that we can talk about. For sure. So uh, I have uh, a couple of questions for Larry on this building. And in photo four and five, I am looking at a window that is up above uh, by where that drain pipe comes up. Is that living space? What is that window up at the top above the double hung window over the air conditioning unit to my left of it is another window. What is that um, up there? Is are that living about, space? Are you talking about the half window cap? or, or the, Yeah, uh, the half window. What's the half window? Bathroom. Yeah, that's, I was bathroom. wondering if that was a bathroom there. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was a bathroom or if it was a half window because they converted the attic into living space in this place. No, sir. Uh, Cap, that was a bathroom. Okay, okay. So, um, again, I have some uh, questions. This is a newer home, and I understand the roof ventilation on a newer home uh, in some of them, but uh, has anyone or any of you guys ever done the roof ventilation where you don't bother with the saw you go up and you whack the um the ridge vent off and just use a, a hook or a halligan and just steal uh the vent because always when they construct the roofs the first sheet on the bottom is a full sheet of plywood 
the cut sheet is normally near the top. And if we whack the ridge vent off and use a halligan and pop it off, we can get the same hole as a four by uh, four by four cut. If we get a two by eight sheet ripped off, we have the same vent hole and we never had to bring a saw up on the roof. Yeah. Hey, Cap, on that one, there was a ridge cap, but no ridge vent. Um, okay. And so that, that was the whole deal. If you look at some of the pictures and kind of zoom, uh, yeah, we definitely were down with that. If you could hook it and pull it, I mean, you can pick up 15 square feet of uh, ventilation space pretty easy uh, in, in, the, in the span of left to right on that house. But if memory serves and looking at the pictures, there was no ridge vent on that house. Okay. And now the second question I have is, if you don't mind, Jeremy, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, brother, please. Floor's yours. Okay. I just, I know me, uh, my house. I've been married in May. It'll be 35 years. Jesus Christ, I'm getting old. Uh, I've been married for 35 years. I know what's in my attic. And my attic is full of crap. Okay. It's her stuff. Okay. And it's all up in the attic. If I vent the roof of my house right now and I go to push down the top floor ceilings, because don't you really have to push down the top floor ceilings to vent the living space to make a change in the rescue profile? Yes, and sir. I can't do it in my house because of the plywood. Because I put plywood across my whole attic to uh, allow me to put more stuff up there because she keeps on buying more stuff. <laughs> okay. So, again, um, the difference in the tactics depend on the buildings, the neighborhoods, and everything else. On this particular one cap, uh, we had uh, 82s had knocked down to the Division One fire. Uh, we had knocked down the Division Two fire. It was already in the attic. If you look at the earlier photos, it had already gotten up there. And so, actually, what we were trying to do was make the push up into the attic through the access stairs. Uh, right. And we ran into some decking issues by pulling ceiling, and we're looking at the bottom side of plywood. So what you're saying uh, happened to us there. But what we had was a well-involved attic fire at that point also. It had extended one, two, attic. And so the only way we could actually get a hose line in operation in the attic and knock it down we had to have some relief. And so when that truck made the cut, it allowed us to get that line up in operation in the attic because pulling ceiling wasn't getting it done for us because of the decking that you mentioned. And so we were able to push up in the attic access ladder and uh, get a knock on the fire after they were able to get those gases and everything out for us. Okay. Interesting. You know, part of, part right. of, the, Cap, part of the conversation too um, is that I've seen with a lot of the newer construction in my area, What's happening is with these lightweight uh, residential trusses that they're putting in and so on, a lot of that void space, which you can consider attic space, is not like your home or my home where we're throwing up the Christmas decorations and everything else. A lot of that is a true void space with very limited access. And so in, the, in those prefab trusses in the newer construction, you're, you don't have any plywood decking because people don't typically have access for storage in those areas. And with the way the trusses are built, there's really no storage area to be had. We had a fire not too long ago. Um, it was cranking good in a, in a townhouse, uh, middle-of-the-road townhouse, brand-new construction. It was all lightweight residential um, trusses and, and gusset plates and uh, you name it, long stretches, uh, cathedral ceiling in the rear for the great room and kitchen. Uh, and so on. And the majority of the fire was, uh, it started in the flue pipe, brand new construction. Second time the guy's ever had a fire in his wood burning stove. So Toll Brothers certainly ate the cost on this one, but something with the piping for the wood burning stove uh, wasn't wrapped correctly. It got up in that void. 
and we had no interior access to that other than hooking the sheetrock. But you had uh, probably from sheetrock to the to the highest pitch was at least fourteen feet of void space, and so there's no access to that. There's no uh, there's no decking there. There's no storage in there. Um, and so in that type of uh, situation, I mean, that is just a free free space for just an incredible amount of energy to, to take hold. Um, and so opening that up is super critical. Um, the other thing, too, is I know in my home is just like yours. I mean, my attic's full of shit. It's got a plywood deck across the hole. So really opening up the attic is only going to be beneficial for venting the attic space. It's going to be very difficult to punch through uh, to make a difference, uh, maybe create tenable space on the second floor for vertical ventilation. That's where the horizontal ventilation, I think, really plays in the older homes for sure. I agree. And that's where you have to you have to know your buildings and you have to understand this, because very honestly, for me. If all that shit burnt, she's up in bed, so I can say this now. But if all that shit burnt, I would be, I would be thrilled. You know, I have to start over. I got so many bags of Christmas decorations; it drives me insane. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, brother. I, good stuff, man. I appreciate it, Cap. Thank you so much. Always, always so no problem, voice, brother. Steve, what's up, brother? You're up on the stage. What's happening, buddy? How you guys doing? Good. 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 You know the. Go the one, so the one thing that that's not uh, discussed on this, and and Larry was inside, so he probably, you know, he knows now, but didn't realize at the time, is before the boys went to the roof, we attempted horizontal ventilation on the A side. So you can see the two uh, the two windows over the garage that are busted out. I did that as a truck chauffeur with the roof ladder. I opened that up. And then place that. And, and, and on slide one, that's the truck crew getting ready to ascend to go to the roof. So that was coordinated. That horizontal ventilation was cre- uh, coordinated with engine 68's entry with the, the second line up to division two. And we can hear them on the radio talking about the conditions. Uh, and, and the truck crew was getting ready to go to the roof. So we knew at that point they needed a hole. Um, you know, there, there was no, there was no choice. No, I agree with Steve because I know I got on the radio a couple times and said, Hey, where's the truck at? And you could hear them pounding their way to the peak because I called at least twice on the radio saying, Hey, we need a hold of this. I probably, I may have actually violated FCC rules a couple times, uh, with an adjective and that was utilized, but uh, it happens. It happens, brother. It happens. Hey, division two was getting hot. And all I know is that we needed some relief because we weren't going to do much when we were down on our hands and knees. For sure. You know, and, and, and Cap, Cap Duke and just, you know, you were talking about all the crap in the attic and a decked out attic and my house is the same way. I mean, you, you really got to pick and hunt uh, for an area that you'd be able to put a hook through the roof deck and hit sheetrock to the ceiling below. And, you know, in, in Houston, in, in a lot of the uh, in a lot of the areas, we got this side shack going on behind the scenes. You know, when I was at 25s, 34s, whatever, and we're dealing with shotgun shacks, you know, these little uh, 800 square foot one stories with shiplap. Um, you're dealing with that on the ceilings anyway, and, and we're still going to the roof. So I think I think maybe the uh, geographical territory prepares us for that a little bit more. Now, plywood's a lot different, you know, but Mo can talk a lot about, uh, you know, a two-man pike pole, which is probably foreign to most people on the platform. 
Uh, but it's, it, it's truly a two-man pike pole. It's almost like a battering ram with a hook at the end. Um, and uh, sometimes it's got to be used. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think that there's still something to be said for relieving heat, smoke, gases, pressure, even if you're not able to open up the ceiling below. That you, you're still dealing with a charged environment and when you release that from the attic, the stuff that's in the living compartment is going to make its way to the attic. Not as fast as opening up the ceiling, but I do think you'll have a little bit of, uh, you know, path of least resistance. Oh, makes good makes good point, Steve, for sure. I mean, you know, you when when that roof is holding that pressure in, and all you have is a, either a ridge vent or or, or a, uh, a soft vent on each side of the of the peak or or something like that. I mean, the the exit for those gases and smoke is just too small, and so the pressure just continues to build. And I agree with you. Um, opening up, even if you don't have direct access, access uh, either through the sheetrock or, or to the uh, living space below, um, removing that pressure will better the pressure within the entire structure. I mean, I, I believe that um, for sure. Hey, Chief Mo, welcome to the stage, brother. Unmute yourself. Mo, where are you, buddy? Hit your uh, hit your mute button. There you hey, go. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, Chief. What's going on? How you guys doing? We're kicking ass, brother. It's good to have you up on stage with us. First time on Clubhouse? Yes, sir. It sure is. Thank you. What do you think? I love Good. So fill us in. Chief Mo Davis out of Houston, Texas. What do you got, Chief? Hey, they were talking about that two-man pike pole, and we also had another tool the truck crew would take to the roof we called it a brick on a stick Lord. And it's just something that firemen built it's heavy and once we'd cut a hole we'd have about a 10 to 12 foot pole that we would just beat shiplap or uh, plywood down from the roof so we would attack it from underneath and we'd also attack it from the top and I jokingly said in our side conversation it's a great tool as long as you don't drop it so that was another option of you know busting through uh plywood you know what i love i i love the little hack of bringing a d-handle hook with you to the roof instead of a straight hook you know a, a six foot hook with a d-handle on it makes all the difference in the world especially when you gotta be pushing down and keeping a good grip on your tool just that's just a little thing i always like if i'm going to the roof to grab that d-handle instead of a straight pike um, Mo, while I have you up here, brother, I mean, you know, you are an aggressive command forward, uh, chief and, uh, you, you do, you do a considerable amount of work where you are. I love to, you, uh, love for you to speak a little bit to the command aspect of decision-making <laughs> upon arrival and what your expectations are, um, you know, what your expectations are for, uh, arriving companies and how important is the roof position, uh, in the grand scheme of, of your command structure. I, I sign that quick. Um, as we're approaching the scene, you know, I always feel like the guys on the truck and the engine, they've got a lot of other stuff to worry about. So I start looking at the ridge vents. I start looking at the roof line and I let the pressure of the smoke coming out dictate uh, my assignments, whether it's the first in truck. If it looks like it's got a good amount of pressure, I, I ask them to ventilate. And not so much pressure. I'll ask them to do a primary search. I'll get the second truck to come in. So I have a little bit of leeway on that. But I let the pressure of the smoke 
dictate my first assignment for the truck. And I would, I would say probably 80% of the time on the Southwest side, it's, it's going to be go to the roof to cut a hole. Uh, and, 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 and just like a little side note. Um, and I think Larry mentioned it earlier that helps us dic- dictate where the fire's going. If I get a good hole cut early, we stop the spread in common attics and the larger apartments. But um, but I let the let the smoke dictate my first uh, my first truck assignment is has everything to do with smoke, and then the second truck. And we're fortunate we got two trucks coming, and then the second truck I send them for the primary search. Chief, uh, for for your decision making, also, I mean, typically a lot of the structures that you're say residential in, in your first do. Are they typically the homes and, and residential buildings that Larry was talking about before? It, it is. Uh, you know, the southwest side is so unique. We have anything from the 1900s to modern construction to a, a residential home to a block-long apartment complex to high-rises. So it's, it's, it's really unique and so many different aspects of it. But I would say probably, and Steve and Larry can speak on this, probably better than I can, but I would think probably 70% is, is uh, apartments compared to where I grew up in the fire department as a captain and a senior, it was mostly houses. So, but, but now I'd say, I'd say 70% is apartments. Okay. Garden, like garden style apartments, like center hallway, open, open staircase, center hallway, that type of thing. it, It sure is. It is big setbacks, big setbacks. Um, Real poor part of town, a um, lot of lot of life hazards, um, a lot of challenging um, entry, forcible entry. So yeah, it's very southwest side of town is. Hey Jeremy, l- let me make a comment too. Yeah. Is, is you mentioned the good part is is that Mo can attest to it. I know Steve can. Uh, we don't have a lot of center hallway apartments. Okay. Most of ours are garden uh, walk ups. Gotcha. And so where you, where you hit a stairs and when you get to the top of the landing, you go left to one unit, right to one unit, but it's open air. Uh, center hallway apartments, historically in District 68 or southwest part of town, you have to treat those like hotels or motels because it's self-contained. God forbid the occupant leave the apartment open, uh, the front door open. It's just like pushing down a hallway at a hotel. Right. Uh, I think Moe's probably two or 300 fires or at least responses over to Forum Park. Uh, Sugar Branch, that area, and those are center hallway apartments. And that's a completely different beast than uh, walk-up gardens. And the walk-up gardens, hose line deployments a lot faster. Uh, you know, after Katrina, uh, when we had a lot of um, – we had an increase in population of our apartments in southwest Houston after Hurricane Katrina and consequently had a lot of fires, a boatload of fires that started uh, or that occurred. And what we ran into was that a lot of our center hallways, we had to come up with abbreviated tactics. Uh, what we had to do was realize that going to the center stairwell, which is middle of the building, and you've got a wing to the left and a wing to the right, if you stretch, you're using half your stretch to get to the center lobby, if you will, the elevator lobby. Then you're going to push up the stairs, Division two, Division three, and you're going to fall short. So what we wound up doing after making a couple of these is we would just go to the apartment adjacent, whether it be Division two or Division three, throw a ga- ground ladder to the balcony. We took the line to the balcony forced through the door, went to the hallway, went over one unit, and came back to the apartment of origin. So what we were doing is we were limiting our time on air. We were conserving uh, hose line uh, length, 
And then at that point, we were able to push back into the fire department and all do it in a faster fashion, uh, as opposed to going 60 feet, eating up 60 feet of a pre-connect to then go up two floors and then back down. And you always fell short, if that makes sense. No, I get it. I get it. I like it. I like it a lot. And I, I love the, the clarity between the buildings, too, because I, that does paint the picture as well. And I know, you know, still have a Mo on stage and, and being and arriving uh, in that uh, command vehicle, buggy, whatever you call it, um, in, in your area. Um, you know, there's a thousand considerations that have to be made uh, on the fly. And so uh, knowing the infrastructure, knowing the buildings, the construction, knowing the typical um, you know, there's a lot of conversation in the background going on right now about positioning and so on, but knowing the stretch, knowing what those setbacks are, getting that stretch in place. But that, that has a lot to do with the engine, right? Let's, when it comes to the truck, right, let's talk about the coordination between, um, you know, and, and Sean, I'd like, you know, as a moderator in the group, I'd like to get you real quick to discuss the, um, the communication uh, and how important that is because, you know, when, when we teach ventilation, you know, there's supposed to be this uh, mutual coordination, uh, a dance, if you will, uh, where, uh, you know, the fire, the nozzle needs to be able to make the space and be ready to get water on that fire so that the truck can open up. Because if we open up too quick, we're going to allow for a quicker spread. Conditions will change and so on. And so maybe you could talk to real quick about the, the, the importance of communication between the companies. Uh, especially when it comes to popping a top or even horizontal ventilation in this case. And I do want to say this before, Sean, you get rolling. Um, there are a lot of other people in the crowd. Uh, Lou, you're up on stage. Great. We'll get, you, we'll get to you in one second. Uh, we are recording this. I just have to throw that out there for the clubhouse rules. We are recording this to be used at a later date. So we invite anyone in the crowd to please uh, raise your hand and come up on stage. We'd love to hear some feedback, questions, some storytelling. Sean, go, man. So, so, yeah, the communication is key with us. And again, like I mentioned earlier, some time ago, it became the final decision came from became a command decision whether we open the roof or not. So he would take our our I, if if I'm communicating with the first the nozzleman or the nozzle crew that's making the ladder or making the attic space on the top floor, they're going to give the heads the, the the call. Oftentimes, you know, a few years back to my uh, when I was a lieutenant at the rescue on rescue one, we that was part of our job was recon. So I'm getting as high as we can and I'm making the call outside, but the communications key. Um, when, when, when these guys are giving us the given, given our, Hey, you know, Hey, we need the roof, uh, you know, attic fire, uh, any kind of serious fire in the attic. That's, that's going good. The, the chiefs are going to obviously not need the engine to tell them that we need it open, but uh, <clears throat> sometimes they get so wrapped up that they don't make that call. And so we'll be on the roof. And this is where, you know, I, I prefer to, if, if we can do it just to have two of my, two of my guys go do the job on the roof. Cause they certainly can most, most of our roofs. And then my other, myself and my other guy can go get reassigned, do some horizontal vent or go inside assist. But um, you know, the, the clear communications is, is great. And it's, it's so, so critical but you have to these um <clears throat> because we all know again we all know that sorry I'm getting distracted we all know what uh, what's happening if we, if we get those roofs open too soon or we get them open too late even we, we're going to stop the push and uh, potentially burn the thing off. But we've had some instances recently where there was a lack of communication between the guys on the ground, the guys in the attic, and the guys on the roof, and we burnt up equipment. We, fortunately, we're lucky enough we didn't get anybody seriously injured, but the truck crew's making a, a hasty retreat. 
off of the roof because it started to burn through because that, that message never got, it got lost in radio traffic somewhere, whether they needed the roof, what the conditions were, younger crew on the roof. And next thing you know, it's burning through and they're scurrying, scurrying down the ladder to get off. As a matter of fact, we, we lost a roof ladder in that situation because it, it didn't make the trip. Whoops. Yeah. It turned into our short little VES ladder now, though, so we repurposed it. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate those insights. Lou, welcome to the stage, man. Uh, you got the floor. What's up? Hey, guys. Uh, just down the road from Sean by Rochester, and uh, we were texting back and forth about uh, some things that Captain Dugan brought up. Those ridge vents, uh, we both agree kind of like 50%, depending on who the roofer that installed them was, that they get those even off uh you know i've had about 50 50 percent luck on getting them off but what i do like is when i pull them off it get it lets me know what type of roof i'm on if i don't if i'm not familiar with the area or maybe they you know they put an addition on it'll let me know if there's a ridge beam there all right we got a little more time on that roof if there's not a ridge beam we know we got trusses it also gives my saw man a, you know he knows where to cut now because he'll be able to see those trusses or the uh the rafters a uh, couple other things I like to do with this with my guys is when, I, when we're up on roofs training is just point out the box fence. If there's box fence up on roofs, a, a good roofer is not going to put a box vent over uh, a uh, roof beam. So if you know where a box vent is, you know that's the, that's the bay of the roof that you that's where you should be cutting. The other thing is uh, what's popular in my area and in Sean's area, you know, the northeast is the turbines. In the summertime, they put turbines up on the roof to uh, suck the hot air out. And, you know, those can draw the fire to places that you don't want. Or it might take the fire where you want it. So depending on where the fire is, we'll, we'll disable those turbines or we'll use those turbines to our advantage. Same with the box vents as well. If, you know, if I don't want the fire traveling down the roof, I'll just go over and smash the, the box vent with my, uh, with my halogen. But, you know, one thing I wanted to ask Sean is what kind of cuts do, do they do in Buffalo? I know what we do in the Rochester area. We climb to the peak uh, on pitched roofs. We'll climb to the peak and straddle them and use a rotary saw with a, and pull cut it. Uh, if it's walkable, it's a whole different story. It's very easy. We just do a real big box cut. But, you know, it's, it's weird. You go down the road to Syracuse and they do a whole different type of ventilation tactic and you go west to Buffalo. I'm just interested in what they, what, what they do out west in Buffalo. Yeah, so it's situational for sure. You know, and I've had this discussion because there are some great, you know, some famous um, cuts, if you will. You know, the the, the Milwaukee cut to Syracuse kind of pattern their own cut that's kind of named yeah. after them. And um, our our typical cut, I want my first person up onto the peak. He's getting off the roof ladder. He's allowing the second, you know, perfect world stuff. This is what I want. Two guys up. First guy goes up to the peak. He's out of the way. Second guy comes up, he's making the cuts. He'll do a quick inspection cut, look and see what if we're in the right spot. He'll make you know, you know, a, a version of the seven, nine, eight cut, except we're we're opening it as one big hole. Um, he's going to try to roll the rafters if he possibly can. Sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't work depending on what you're dealing with. But he'll he'll make the five cuts that it requires one one being as far down as he can go after the inspection cut, the top cut. And then finishing it down the along the ladder, obviously overlapping each one of them, then he can kind of come down. I prefer if it's possible and it doesn't always work, it's perfect world stuff. He comes down, the first guy that went up took either the hook or his bring, I'm sorry. Uh his 
his pike axe and he can just pull that whole roof section off. And you're gonna have a nice, you know, if it's four by four, if it's three and a half by five, whatever it is, we're not, you know, uh, we'll do that most of the time. Sometimes we louver it, sometimes on nasty heavy roofs, we will actually do the seven, nine, eight, where we'll, where we'll cut it and we'll break it off into pieces. Uh, I try to avoid the louver cut where we're knocking that stuff back in just because I've been on the receiving end of some roofing material hitting me and, you know, and those that have seen me in person know I can't afford to get my head any swole, any more swollen than it is. But those two are, are the prime that we use and on super steep pitches in the winter time, we'll do that you know, style where they're bringing up two two uh, roof ladders so that everybody's, everybody has a work platform, so to speak. But it's hard. I have a hard time getting people, and it's and it's not a criticism of the guys, but we have a hard time getting two ladders thrown and, and, and in place quickly and efficiently when you start throwing a third or even a fourth in. And again, like I mentioned earlier, most of our residential streets, it's hard to get our aerials up to assist us on getting to the roof. Uh, we have eight of the nine trucks in Buffalo are platforms of some sort, mid-mount or rear. We only have one straight, straight, uh, straight stick left in the city. Um, you know, I, I disagree with it. It wasn't my decision, but so more often than not, our aerials are doing what I hate and they're just transporting people and equipment to the fires. And, uh, but that's our two that we mostly do. Two people can do most of the, most of the, most of the work. And, um, you know, but again, the, the, the situations are going to dictate it. We have extreme, you know, uh, an extreme hurry and, and uh, an extra need to get going because of the conditions are, are deteriorating fast then you might, uh, you might pick a different method. We, for a long time, that kind of coffin cut where you're working from peak peak to eaves was real popular here. And um, that has its place, obviously. But I, I feel like that becomes more of an overhaul cut if you're still up there. If the conditions allow us to not have to get up right off the roof immediately, you can stay up there and you can help, like I talked about earlier, do a lot of the work from above versus the guys in the attic busting their chops where they're working overhead trying to push roofs. So those are the major ones. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was going to ask you about the. Oh, sorry, uh, Chief. I was going to ask Sean with the ladder situation, and you know, are you able to cut from from the aerial at all? And you, you answered that. I mean, we try to get our aerial up, but it's probably the last piece of equipment that our ladder truck puts up. And we're, you know, we're on a straight stick. You know, it operates pretty quick. But you know, we try to tell our guys that unless it's an apartment building, you know, a three four story apartment building that we have. You know, the ground ladder should be the first things that go up, especially, you know, on a two-story ranch. There's no, or a two-story colonial. There's no reason for that aerial to be up out of the bed before those ground ladders are deployed. Yeah. And I, yeah. Sometimes I wish we moved it more, but we used them more, but uh, go ahead, Jeremy. I'm no, good. no, no. I was just going to say, I mean, th- th- this is, this is what's exciting about this room and this conversation is that, you know, the differences in districts where the aerial uh, may not be the number one priority on arrival. It could be because you have a two man truck and you just don't have the staffing for it right away. Right. And the aerial becomes secondary to the other means of things that have to happen. So, but go ahead, Sean, I'm sorry. No, that's exactly it. I, I just, there's a, there's a purpose and there's a need. We put the, we had a good fire the other day. And uh, as we're the first engine arrived, it was a three-story ordinary, ordinary building, um, which, so my driver immediately, we were second due. And I said, I said, you got a position. We need the aerial for this one. And he's looking at me like, what do you mean, Captain? He, he had initially assumed anytime we use the aerial, it's, it's a defensive operation. I said, no, we're going to have to, we're not going to, we don't have a ladder tall enough to get to it. We're going to have to use the aerial. And as he pulled up, he's looking and looking and looking and that, you know, not to turn this into a positioning thing, but 
when, when you're coming up on the trucks, you need to slow down and figure out because you get one shot at spotting these things. And, and he, he made a really good, a real good spot. We got as close as we possibly could. We, we took the aerial up to the roof. Unfortunately, we didn't get to open it. We don't get to do a whole lot of flat roof uh, ventilation up here. We just don't get the fires in those type of buildings very often. And um, I was really, I was looking forward to it, but I didn't get to do any cutting. Cool. Hey, Jeremy, can I add something about that? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, apparatus positioning. I know that's not the point of the class or of this conversation, but that may be one for the future. I know on the group oh, text yeah. right now, a, Kevin. I have a note here. It's circled about a hundred times because all the yeah, I think on, Kevin. Yeah, Pags pointed it out, Kevin. But realistically, and, and I think it speaks to what the captain just said, you know, realistically, we need to train our truck chauffeurs better. I know I learned from Steve. When he retired and I took over driving the truck, our whole purpose in life, you hear this where a ground ladder, uh, I think Lou made the comment, you know, we're not going to get the aerial up. It, it, it's the last thing. Well, if you're riding a four-man rig, which fortunately in the city of Houston we were, and they still are, you know, there's no reason that that chauffeur's first priority in life shouldn't be. If you got to beach it in the front yard, you beach it in the front yard. The stick goes up. The pipeman on the left side can start chunking ground ladders. The right side officer and that firefighter, they're going to go do what they do. In the city of Houston, we never had dedicated riding positions. It wasn't interior, exterior teams. That was always done at the company level by the company officer made that decision. And that's when Steve and I were there together. That's how we operated. Left side did left side stuff. Right side did right side stuff. And what we have to understand, and this is a pet peeve of mine, apparatus chauffeurs, truck chauffeurs, whether you call them DOs, EOs, or AOs, their whole purpose in life when they show up at a working fire is to get the aerial up. At the end of the day, somebody else can be chunking that ground ladder. But the aerial is the most reliable and safest means to get your crew up, but also out should things go bad. In the Houston Fire Department, I hate to say it because I'm retired, but we were really bad about putting people on the floors of a burning building and not giving them another way out. I decided that when I became lost, you Larry set and give a roof report before the box was tapped out because it was nothing. Or if it was burning, we were set up. We were good to go for roof ventilation. I can throw it to a window, whatever. And so we have to start ingraining this in the new people that it is not a hundred foot, you know, arm to reach out when it's convenient. It needs to be done every time to become proficient and to give our people a way in, but more importantly, a way out when things go bad. Hey, Chief, uh, yep, just, just just to explain the with the the thought process on the aerial uh, as a last thing up, our truck company is a three-man truck company, chauffeur, uh, officer, and fireman. So and usually if we're, we're the only one in the district right now, we're first on scene. Me and the, uh, the can are going in doing a search and the the chauffeur is usually going to do outside vent work, which is, you know, throwing ground ladders and taking windows. And then once a second unit comes in, that's going to marry up with him. Then they usually go to the roof. If we're second due to a mutual aid call, then yeah, we're usually throwing the aerial up to where we needed to go. You know, we're, you know, if we're going mutual aid to the next towns over the aerials going up, we're usually positioning for either first due truck work or second due truck work, depending on when we get toned out for the calls. But you know it's situational dependent. I wanted, I didn't want to, I wanted to clarify that that aerial is not the only that last thing going up. It's you know it's it's called dependent on what what we're doing. Good deal. No, good conversation, guys, for sure. I mean, very good conversation, Lou. Thank you for uh, your willingness to hop up on stage. I appreciate it, man. Uh, Captain Dugan, back up top. What's going on? 
Nothing. I just wanted to uh, bring up two points. Uh, one, the first one is on the ridge vents that we do have, because I had a friend who sent me some pictures and I've got to find them of somebody putting a roof ladder up on a ridge vent and they didn't knock the ridge vent down. And the hooks on the hook ladder on the roof ladder were in the ridge vent. And when they started putting weight on it, the brothers started climbing it. It ripped the uh, metal and started sliding down the roof. Um, if you are using one of those that looks raised off the roof, and some of them are, not all of them are, uh, just make sure that you smash it down and set that roof ladder and give it a test before you climb up on that because it can be a problem if it hasn't been dropped uh, very well and the hooks aren't set properly. Uh, and the other one is on apparatus positioning, and I know we're not going to go into it deep, but um, the, the truck is not a fireboat. We don't anchor it. If the positioning is bad, we move it up 10 feet, move it back five feet, whatever else it is. But we have to make sure with the positioning that the other apparatus that we work together to train for positioning. You never park uh, something uh, 20 feet behind a truck if the ladders come off the rear, you'd be aware of it. The chief's car never parks near the rigs all of that stuff. It's all what we do. That's where our drills come in for us. That's where we come in our drills and we make sure we understand that we're going to have to get these ladders out. It, you know, don't handcuff us. For sure. I mean, you know, in, in that whole concept of position, don't park, right? I mean, you, you hear it all the time. It's, it's talked about a lot uh, and so on. And, and I, I, I get it completely. And, you know, uh, certainly neighborhoods don't park cars and setbacks and everything else dictate. But we do have to get into that aggressive mindset where uh, especially your first due aerial needs to be in a position to be used unless it's completely blocked out. But it shouldn't be unless the environment dictates that. But for sure, Cap, I mean, very good points there for sure. Uh, also on the uh, the roof ladder with the ridge vents as well. So good points. I thank you. I I thank everybody for hopping up into the room. I you know I see a bunch of other guys down below. Uh, you know that probably have a couple great nuggets to share, and I'd I'd love to capture a few more before we wrap this up. Uh, there is something though um, while we go here uh, that I wanted to talk about too. And you know we talk about building construction a little bit. Uh, we did talk about that lightweight uh, construction. And, uh, and Lou brought up before about uh, some of the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, I'm losing my words right now, but the different, uh, different setups on the roof, uh, different vent points, uh, soil pipes, things like that. Um, Sean, Larry, maybe you guys can, you know, hop in there real quick. Talk about some landmark things to look for when you're on the roof, if you're considering uh, when, you, when it comes to building construction about uh, those different uh, natural ventilation points versus uh, soil pipes versus uh, chimneys, things like that. You know, I used to be a big fan of knocking turbine vents off, but when you read the science, you know, unless you have to, a turbine vent actually is designed to move and ventilate the attic space better than if you kick it off and you just leave an open pipe. And so I've had to readjust my thought process because it was natural thing. You go up there and you hit it with the hook, you know, Ridge vent as Captain Dugan pulled out, uh, pointed out, I mean, you can pick up 14-plus square feet of ventilation space just by pulling a ridge vent from left to right. Just, uh, that, just for clarity, Larry, because I'm, I'm pretty sure, but a turbine vent is the one that spins by itself, correct? It's like a mushroom cap almost, right? And it's, it's Yeah, yeah. Early yeah. Really thing. Yep. Okay. Uh, I just want to make sure. When you look at the science behind it, they actually will spin faster 
the hotter this, the, the, whatever's in the attic is. And so realistically, you're going to actually affect greater ventilation through a turbine vent by leaving it in place. Soil pipes, pull the rain cover off of it. They're going to chug out X amount of, of, of ventilation. I mean, you can use that as your landmarks. If you're getting reports on Division One or Division Two. you got people trapped in a certain part of the building. If you even have an understanding or basic, somebody pointed out that at the beginning of this, Captain Dugan did, what was that half window? Well, that's a bathroom. Well, if you're oriented when you're reading the building as you're approaching, you're knowing where the stovepipes are in relation to a window or a half window you saw. So you understand if you got a crew saying, hey, I got a victim in Division Two or whatever, at that stage of the game, you can kind of cater your ventilation prioritization based upon what you're seeing on the roof using soil pipes, vent pipes, turbine vents as some, as somewhat of a map, if you will, to help alleviate those conditions where you got a crew that may have found a victim or you have a crew where they're saying, hey, it's getting untenable. And so realistically, it's like reading a map. And if you understand what you're looking at on the roof as a soil pipe that's going here or you got a pipe that's going here, you're not going to be 100% because of remodels and just things that people do to their homes. But it's always a good it's a good frame of reference to at least start from uh, when you're up top. And that's with perfect visibility, you know, and that's something else too. You know, that was good visibility in those slides. We have all, everybody in this room has been on roofs that are absolutely horrible. You're on the wrong side of the wind. You're on the wrong side of the ridge row and it's blowing towards you. Even if you make your cuts in the right order and you're trying to work from windward to leeward, you're still going to be in that position where things change. We've all cut a hole where the wind shifts halfway through the cut. And you just have to get it done. And so realistically, if you understand what you're dealing with, Captain Dugan said it. I think uh, Sean said it. It comes down to understanding your building construction, understanding what you're doing, what your tactical priorities are. They fit into the strategic game plan, what the incident commander wants you to do, what you know your officer or you as the officer needs to get done. And you get it done quickly because you train, you drill at it. You understand what you're looking at. You understand that if you see a soil pipe, you understand what that means. You understand that. It, it's no different than searching a house. If you're hitting a bunch of tile, you know you're in a bathroom. You know, it, it's one of those things that should become ingrained because that's a survival thing that you should know for those situations. So if you're on a roof and you start running into pipes and you start running into things, you need to be able to understand how that translates to the floor below you. Sure. Good point. Sean, thoughts? Yeah, that's – well, you know, Chief made a whole bunch of good points there. I, I don't know how much I have to add to, but, you know, the roofing material, more and more, my district – I'd say 85% of the houses on one whole portion of my district are slate roofs, old style, older homes. Um, some are the, um, some are the shingle. I can't think of the name of them now, but some are shingle based. Some are like the terracotta looking slate roofs are big. Uh, that's, that's a whole nother animal that I think we could probably do a whole show on that. My house, I had a metal roof put on. So you lose a little bit of those landmarks with the metal roof. They covered up most of my natural vents, except for the soil pipe, obviously, because there's already going to be a natural air gap underneath the metal roof. So, uh, but in terms of laying it out, it is, it's about knowing your buildings, knowing your typical, you know, parts of my city where the newer homes are being built. Where I, not, not in my district. I got to do some, a little more recon, I suppose, when I start, if I'm over there working and I have to, uh, you know, figure out where we're going to start venting these roofs. But yeah, the natural openings are great. The the turbine vents, you know, there's two schools of thought. You're right, Chief, the science says one thing. They, they certainly can pull fire. But 
you know, we're more inclined to leave them in place unless, unless it's super convenient, you know, basically it's in the way of our ladder. Otherwise we're just going to leave those things. And, um, but yeah, you, you, it's about knowing your buildings and knowing what you're looking at. All those natural openings are great, but you have to understand what happens if, you know, sometimes they might be aiding, aiding and keep in uh, what's going on, the conditions inside there. Yeah. Really good point, Sean. Thank you for jumping in on that. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Sean, too, because uh, I had a, Brian Butler's down in the in the gallery, and he sent me a text on the side. He's working, so he really can't jump on at you know to add. So, you know, he brought up a good point, Sean, and I think you probably see a lot of it are, are knee walls, and when we make determinations of where we want to begin our cuts and and so on, and and sometimes you know cuts are made on the lower portions of the roof, and we don't see that space get any better. Um, and typically, it's a good indication of uh, you know chopped up attic space, chopped up. Uh, void space and and uh, knee walls and I I've been to several fires now where knee walls have played havoc on the uh, you know on the on the uh, tactics as we go uh, because conditions weren't getting better and and to get those knee walls opened up is is sometimes quite a task. Do you you run into that in your in your area at all? Yes, yeah, so almost most of our houses have them some are some you know there's story and a half houses will have the shorter knee walls they're they're four foot five foot tall but then you know the houses that are your full two and a halfs have them and what that was we actually one of the we we, years ago one of the most uh we you know iconic photos on one of the one of the trades magazines was a guy from our job you know head first out the window because uh fire broke through the knee walls and burnt the line um and he had to bail two guys had to bail a fire it was a double fatal fire that we had but we we do encounter them and that's where again your your roof size ups up there if we open up high near the peak and nothing's happening then we that's where you start stretching down that's where having a ladder up there for us works because we can get lower we can do that more of a coffin cut if you will and cover the, the living space and or the attic space and get behind the knee walls and hope hope that you can help uh, help the guys find it find the fire if they're still looking for it by getting it to light up a little bit or just help them make that push. Knee walls can cause a lot of havoc. People forget about them. People don't don't realize they, they don't want to get in there because it's a tight space, especially in you know the how the knee walls in my house or the, the way my house is laid out. You know I, I'm not a little guy. I have a hard time getting in there sometimes, especially if I was all packed out. So it's real important that if the guys from the roof can make that determination of what's going on inside there, it certainly helps the crews on the inside. Very good points. Larry, anything to add on that? No, I completely agree with what Sean said. And yeah. I probably talked to him for tonight. Okay. Good, man. Well, I will tell you, uh, you know, I know the topic was vertical ventilation. We talked a lot about it, um, but there's so much more we could be covering and diving in depth, just like Sean said on a couple things. You know, we could do a whole show just based on, uh, you know, slate roof or this or that. But we've been going for almost an hour and a half. And, um, you know, I don't, you know, I think we're going to start to wrap. What I'd like to do, though, is to ask anyone in the room uh, if they have any questions or anything they want to share before we begin to wrap this episode. Uh, please raise your hand. We'll get you right up on the stage. I'd love to hear some more, uh, you know, back and forth before we wrap. But if not... Uh, you know, I just want to take the last few minutes and, and thank both you, Sean and uh, Larry, for hopping in tonight. Um, you know, this this platform has incredible potential. Uh, tonight, we heard from a lot of just solid dudes that have a lot to share. Um, and I think that's where the value of uh, this platform comes into play. And so uh, we're going to be doing one of these open mics, hopefully weekly. 
Um, and it's going to be moderated by different people every week, and uh, and we'll pick another topic, uh, and we'll roll. I do uh, have one coming up, I believe, on March 31st. Uh, I don't know if we locked that in yet. Uh, Mickey Farrell from Top Floor Tactics. Uh, Mick, and he's down in the room tonight, uh, we're working on something. Uh, I think we're going to be rolling it out on the 31st of this month, which would be super cool. Um, so stay tuned. We will post that as well. Um, send me comments on the DM, send me an email, nationalfireradio at gmail.com. Uh, shoot us a DM on Instagram or an instant message on Facebook. Let us know what you thought of the conversation tonight. Uh, there is no way to converse through Clubhouse here unless you hop up on stage and and be willing to share. But I'd love to get some feedback on uh, on your thoughts about using the photos tonight that Larry provided us from a fire down in Houston, which really gave us the chronological order of how things went on the fire ground. And I thought it was just a super helpful tool to have some visuals and referring back to Instagram while we're using an audio platform like clubhouse, I think is real beneficial. And so I think there's plenty of, uh, plenty of things we could do as we go on. Um, if there's anyone else in the room that's willing to hop up, if you don't have anything, then we're going to we're gonna wrap. Uh, I do want to thank all of you for joining tonight. This episode was recorded. It will be put out on our uh, podcast platform, so all of our clubhouses going forward will be shared um, so that uh, you guys can uh, share it and, and send it forward. Um, for all of you that are new to the platform, uh, if you have invites, find like-minded people and let them know how good this app is because, uh, you know, tonight we were able to hear from uh, really distinguished uh, people in the fire service down to, um, you know, Fran who piped up tonight uh, in the very beginning and I appreciate him doing so. Uh, somebody that is just uh, in love with the fire service and brand new to it. Um, so the, the power of this platform, the power of conversation is just so big. And this is the only platform that I know where we can have what we just did tonight. So, uh, Larry D. Camillo, thank you, Chief. Sean Egan, thank you, Cap. I, I appreciate you both very, very much for being here tonight. Um, and Robert Ridley, as always, brother, thank you. Uh, you are the rock, man. So, without you, none of this <laughs> thank happened. Thank you. So, I appreciate it. But, um, Larry, thanks, hey, man. Appreciate it. Hey, Yost doesn't have anything to say? Uh, Yost has is, is been very quiet tonight down there. He's just, I think he's taking it all in. And, no, he's from Queens. He's always got an opinion. <laughs> here we go. Starting to throw around some uh, some words here. But uh, anyway, Sean, thank you very much also for uh, your willingness to hop in tonight, especially, uh, you know, you got about a thousand other things going on. So I appreciate that. No, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity. And, and to, to your point, there's a lot of people in the room here that are content creators that I, I, I learn from every single day. So all you uh, keep doing what you do. Uh, really looking forward to these chats jeremy and rob thanks yeah awesome and listen man i rob and i, I mean i don't want to speak for rob and i you know i'd love to give rob a, a second to chat as well i do talk too much but you know for me this is i love just being able to facilitate a platform where everybody else can talk because there's so much to learn from like you said sean this room is packed tonight if people are in here knew who everybody was in here and this is the best part about clubhouses, everybody is 100% real and authentic. They don't allow for fake, uh, you know, fake uh, memberships. So everybody in here has to own what they say, and their profile represents exactly who they are. So there's no punches pulled, there's no mutts in here, um, and so on. And so there's there's a lot to this platform that I think is going to bring a lot of good to the table. Uh, and uh, you know, like a gentleman like Captain Dugan, who was willing to hop in tonight. 
Uh, I appreciate his time and all his years and everything that he's done for the fire service. And I'd love to get him on an open mic one night. Wink, wink, cap. Love to get you in. And, uh, and it would just make for good conversation. So please take those invites. Everybody tonight after this episode will get more invites in your inbox from Clubhouse. Find like-minded people. Share them. Push it on your social media channels about how good this platform is. Because tonight we probably had, I don't know, 40 maybe, you know, 30, 40 people at the height. Um, I'd love to see hundreds in here, if not thousands eventually, um, because I think that this platform really is the next good thing for the fire service to share the message. Rob, what do you got? This has been awesome. I've, uh, I've learned a lot tonight, especially with uh, some of the, you know, just hearing the different parts about, uh, you know, our landmarks on the roof. I thought it was a great refresher for me. And I just can't wait to pass the knowledge on. I think Clubhouse is uh, is going to be awesome for this. So I'm, I'm just excited to be here. Cool, man. Good stuff. So, again, thank you, everyone, for tuning in tonight. And uh, we're going to be signing off. We went for an hour and a half tonight. And uh, I certainly do appreciate all of you giving us an hour and a half of your time tonight to listen to some of these nuggets and for everybody stopping through and uh, and being a part of this. And to everybody that was willing to come up on stage, thank you for uh, sharing your two cents and your comments. It, it means the world. Uh, all of you tonight here make a difference to the American Fire Service. So I appreciate it. So everyone, that's a wrap for tonight. Uh, Larry and Sean, Rob, thank you very much, guys. And uh, I wish you all have a great night. Enjoy. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to another episode on the National Fire Radio podcast channels. We truly appreciate the support. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our interviews our roundtables, our discussions. It means the world. Like, share, leave a comment. The more we engage, the more we can grow and push the word out and keep making this job better.